Welcome to Autism Weekly, a podcast that discusses autism news, current events, and inclusion. Each week, we welcome a guest to the program to share their unique perspective and expertise as it relates to the fascinating world of autism. I'm your host, Jeff Skabitsky. I'm the founder and president at ABS. I've been in the field of autism and applied behavior analysis as a clinician and advocate for nearly two decades. This week, we welcome Esperanza Reyes to the podcast. Esperanza has extensive experience working with parents of children with autism through her role as the Associate Director of Parent Training at the Utah Parent Center. She holds a master's degree in human development and social policy, along with a graduate certificate in disability studies. She's a first-generation Spanish-speaking individual who has firsthand experience navigating the Latinx community response to autism, as she herself has a young son on the spectrum. We're thrilled to learn more about her experience and how she counsels parents who are navigating the world with a child with autism. Esperanza, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Jeff. I'm so appreciative that you're willing to have me here on air. Yeah, it's our pleasure. Uh, One of the things I love to be able to do is just learn from the personal story of those who come and talk with us. And it sounds like this experience is very personal to you. It's, It's something that you've lived through and now you're counseling others. Can you tell us a little bit about your own family story and your experience? Absolutely. Um, I will begin by sharing that I'm also a sibling of an individual on the spectrum, and that's truly where my story begins, because that is a very uh, intimate experience in my culture, in the Latinx culture. We are very Mm family-oriented, so that sibling perspective um, has sort of led some of the compassion that I initially uh, felt for individuals that had special needs. It was not without... uh, obstacles in my interactions with my own brother. And as I became an adult and actually left home for a college experience and then became a parent myself down the road, it wasn't until then that I gained a completely different perspective as to what it was like to have somebody with autism in your family. And for my own son, he did not get a diagnosis till the age of three and a half. We had concerns since about the age of two about how he was interacting with the world. For example, we'd go to the grocery store and he would get really upset if somebody would get, would get near our cart, would start yelling and screaming. And we were just puzzled um, because I had had some experience with my brother, but that experience was as we were kids, I did not really make a connection Um, that this is what my son might be experiencing. And as he finally uh, was able to be seen by a psychologist, get that clinical diagnosis at at the age of three and a half, we we just, we were dumbfounded, didn't really know how to feel, didn't really know what to do. The information that we received after diagnosis was quite limited. And so I felt like I was grasping at straws as to what my next step was. It wasn't until a follow-up pediatric appointment for my my then three-year-old that I was explained sort of this world of ABA and that that was a possibility in supporting his behavioral needs. And to be truthful to you, it wasn't until my son started receiving that behavioral support and I started seeing change and growth that both his father and I started seeing the possibilities and a whole new world opened up to us where we were slowly feeling the walls of our home closing in. The behaviors were so difficult with our son. The experiences with others um, were just uh, so jarring, even with extended family members. 
that we couldn't, we were isolated and we were choosing to not interact with the world. So once we were introduced to ABA and felt the impact of that um, support for our son, our lives turned right around. And it was the benefit of seeing change in action, seeing that progress, that growth that our son was experiencing that then led us to think a little more long-term. Being such a family-oriented culture, and, and it sounds like your family itself was such a, a, family, a, a family unit that encompassed so many layers of generations, is that it must have been super tough to have to cut people off because of behaviors you, that your son was experiencing in the home. You, went, you uncovered so much with just what you shared with me there, and I'd like to take it layer by layer, if you don't mind, is... One of the things that you spoke about was the culture of the Latinx community and you being a family unit, but it's also one of being extremely supportive and accepting of the family members and in that unit for what they're able to do from what I understand. And I'd like to hear is you have somebody who is a little bit different um, in the way they're experiencing the world, or maybe even has more severe behaviors because of the autism diagnosis, is how does the Latinx community initially respond just culturally? Well, I will share that disability in and of itself in the Latinx community is highly stigmatized. It is not easy to get a diagnosis of a disability. A lot of families struggle um, to understand what it means and to even discuss it as such. Language, the word disability itself is hard and parents will minimize in our community what it means to have a diagnosis or to discuss any limitations. That being said, we are very caring and very lo loving toward our family members, uh, but it is difficult among fathers in particular, um, what the, the loss is for that expected typical child, um, where acceptance and growth and just proximity to those sons or daughters with that disability can be an issue at the very beginning. So probably even experiencing the diagnosis is somewhat traumatic for that father in that relationship just because for them it's it's hearing something that maybe they knew something might have been different but it's hard to be able to understand because culturally like you said you don't want to recognize any of the disabilities you don't want to see anything of that it's almost like something was missing instead of realizing that you know maybe i'm gaining something here maybe there's something very positive from this experience is that is that something where is there a grief model that uh, parents are experiencing at the utah parent center is there something that families are able to consult about when they're hearing that diagnosis and and they have that cultural stigma that you had expressed absolutely we actually have a particular workshop having a special needs child in the family where we do explore with families those natural feelings that they may experience and when we've done that class it's actually particularly popular with us, our spanish-speaking families mm -hmm. where they feel the value of talking about those things because it's happening at a very subconscious level and so to bring it to the conscious and to talk about um what you can do and that it's okay to feel the way you feel and that this might cycle through and you might have you might go back and forth with these feelings it's not i've i'm beyond this stage and i'm never going back to that stage you, mm -hmm. you feel 
it at different moments in time uh, is important for them to feel. And it's sort of cathartic to engage in those conversations and to also connect with peers, individuals that have had uh, children who have experienced the same, same diagnosis, parents that have experienced the same feelings, and be able to, to commiserate as fellow human beings about that experience. Yeah, it, I think it's such a valuable service that you're providing on that because in order to get to the point where you actually appreciate the neurodiversity that might occur for having a, a son, daughter, family member, friend who is on the spectrum is that first you have to understand is that this isn't all limits, it isn't all barriers, is at times it can be something that is adding to the environment that I'm in. It, it's adding something special. And that's what the research seems to show, is that stakeholders over time demonstrate better quality of life, but that first hurdle is, is tough. And it sounds like it might even be tougher for the Latinx community. I, I would agree with that. Again, I think in our community, the stigma is high, higher than perhaps you would experience. And, the, and there's a greater lack of examples of individuals with disability having successful experiences in different aspects of their life. And I, I believe that that taints the vision that parents might have right from the get-go a little bit more negatively. And then once their world opens up to experiencing things with peers and seeing what the possibilities might bring, then um, they're able to see, okay, it's not as terrible as I originally thought. There's more to this. Yeah, and without those models and without that initial peer group to be able to use for that catharsis, to use for that springboard, to be able to talk about the events, it's got to be really tough. Um, and it actually brings in a second layer to me. It's when you're receiving a diagnosis, even going through the testing process, even talking to the pediatrician, it's oftentimes not done in a way where it's sensitive to the Latinx culture. The language is not always translatable to really understanding the experience or the diagnosis. And the way that it's being clarified or explained or even listened to, because you said at age two, you started seeing things. It was age three and a half that I finally got to the point where those were being taken seriously by those around me. Is, that, is there a barrier to care that's caused by that transition to getting a diagnosis and just being able to be listened to by professionals? Absolutely there is. One of the main ones is if you have a family that's bilingual. If there is another language in the home, delays are unnecessarily caused by ignoring the fact that maybe there is an impairment there and it is all um, ascribed to receiving input from two different languages. And so families will also do this themselves. It's not just the professionals. And it, it, it becomes even more devastating when the parent is ready to say, hold on a second, even though we're having two languages here, I'm still concerned about the language. And the professionals might say, no, that's common. Let's just wait and see. The wait and see game has been very damaging to families and I believe uh, not just Latinx families, but any family with um, more than one language in the home is impacted by this. 
Yeah, I think it's actually right now still at about a two and a half year gap between those who are English speaking in our community versus those that are bilingual, is that you're seeing such a disparity of when people are able to access care. And I think you're right. It, it's probably the wait and see. It's, well, you know, not, not everything is being heard or, or spoken to in English. So maybe their communication is delayed. And it's those misinterpretations and that misguidance on the professional level that I think is causing some of that detriment. What, what would you be telling the practitioners when they are seeing a family who's questioning even a little bit of the behavior or a little bit of the developmental skill set of their child. Would, would you have a recommendation if you were to go back to when your child was being diagnosed at age three and a half and yet you brought it up at age two? What did you want them to do? I would say whenever there's any doubt, there's nothing better to do than to evaluate and be sure rather than waiting to take that next step, you're still going to figure out whether it's a yes or no on that delay if you evaluate, but not doing the evaluation is problematic where mm -hmm. you are not catching those that you would um, otherwise. So I would say act as soon as, as possible, as soon as early as um, can be deemed reasonable to get that evaluation in place for families. And I will say it goes beyond the diagnosis period, this issue with uh, bilingual families. I will tell you a personal story of something I experienced in the school setting, actually, with my son. Uh, in my conversations with his speech-language therapist, our concerns with his articulation were being dismissed, and it had to do with the sound of TH. And just based, it seemed to me, on my son's name and perhaps our family's um, last name, it was assumed that my son was bilingual and that he was fluent in Spanish, not in a way that he was in English. And I had to clarify that he was a monolingual English speaker and his articulation difficulties were indeed due to a disability and not input from another language. So that bias against a different language being present kind of persists along, um, along the educational path. Yeah, it sounds like it was, it was your willingness to advocate for your own son, which is the only reason that you got listened to in that event. It's, so what is it that needs to be done? I mean, so when I look at uh, some of the activities that are going on there within the, the Latinx autism community, I'm seeing finally some education and awareness being pushed out to the community at large. I'm seeing a little bit more of the education going so that you're educating others on your experience. What are some of the things that, that you're doing with the Utah Parent Center or that you're seeing community-based that's helping to give a voice to the Latinx autism community at the moment? That is a wonderful question. Here at the Utah Parent Center, we have certainly invested in having members of the Latinx community be those uh, peers to those families where they are the ones consulting with them. We have actually had the benefit of having a committee of community liaisons where they are advising and recommending what they're seeing in the homes of other community members and how we can support. So we extend the line of communication beyond our own staff here at the Utah Parent Center. We create events that are wholly done in that language and try to target the family as a unit. So we encourage anything that we do that is parent education driven to be seen as a family event. We hardly ever talk about it as a parent specific event 
because we know that's a detriment to having that community engage and it matters to talk about it in terms of families. So when you're looking at that, that whole experience and the, the fact that you had a brother who was diagnosed with autism and now you have a son, what's changed over the years that's uh, better, worse? I mean, are we seeing improvement at all? We are absolutely seeing improvement. Uh, with my own brother's experience, uh, some of the issues that he experienced as he was growing up was extreme difficulty in the school system. And although we know our families continue to experience difficulty in the school system, some of the protections have been finessed to include more of the behavioral and social emotional supports that are out there to understand behavior interventions and supports more fully. So the professional community has definitely grown in their understanding and families have become more active in how they utilize those resources. I, I have absolutely seen change and growth. And to be fair, in large part due to families that have advocated for a lot of these things along the road for newer families to enjoy. Yeah, and that that advocacy coming from within the community and having that voice and being able to educate and giving your experience and sharing what you've gone through is the only way that you're going to draw attention to areas of need. I still see when I, and when I'm just as a clinician, when I'm out there and I'm looking at the clinical world, and I look at the school world, is that there's still a lack of professionals who are part of the Latinx community. And one of the best things for being able to truly understand an experience is to understand that culture, is to understand that, that family ecology. Is there, have you seen that, that benefit uh, for a Latinx family to have somebody who who can speak and understand and has lived some of the experience to be a part of their treatment team? Yes, 100%. It, there is no substitute to having that communication happen more seamlessly and having fluent speakers or native speakers of the language that have lived among that community uh, in whatever fashion, but have experienced the nuances of the culture is invaluable for any treatment team to count with. The ABA world has improvements that they need to make with cultural awareness, cultural sensitivity, engagement of the family. So how would you coach a family to make sure that they were getting the services that they needed in the way that they need, in the language that they need? Um, how, how do you make sure that they can advocate for themselves and be, instead of feeling, I have to accept what I have, how do you give them a voice? That is a wonderful question. Um, I actually do this on a week-to-week -week basis when I talk to families about the reluctance to either engage in something different rather than accept. We are a culture that is definitely conflict-averse, and we would rather everyone get along mm -hmm. and uh, proceed with, with what needs to happen. So I always turn it around to the impact on that person with autism. What is it that you're giving up by remaining silent, by not speaking your mind, by not addressing what your priorities are for your child? Ultimately, the impact falls on your child. So it's a give and take of what would happen if you, if you don't necessarily advocate 
for the things that you see your child needing. And that seems to have a really large impact, again, as any parent, they are interested in the best interest of their child and their progress. So once we switch that lens around, we're truly the consequences are impacting that individual with autism, things seem to change. Yeah, and I, I think it starts systemically and then moves into the organizations uh, so that it does affect the individual family is that the system itself right now, the way that it's set up is that you look at testing, you look at the instruments that we're using, you look at the questions that are being evolved on that, is that oftentimes they aren't always culturally sensitive. You could get some misdiagnoses and sometimes the best tools aren't even translated into the appropriate language for everybody to benefit from. Is this something that, um, that, that you've been able to kind of work with on advocacy? Is this something that the Parent Center has been able to try and help with parent education on translating materials into not just language, but culturally appropriate language for different groups to really understand everything that's going on with their own child? Yes, and I think you make a great point when you say sometimes even the tools have not been translated. Many times we've coached families to talk to their teams at school, for example, or clinicians about doing the testing in two languages because we know the generation that is born here or is living with these parents that perhaps the parents only speak one language, ultimately they end up becoming English, English dominant speakers. Mm -hmm. However, you've got to be able to assess in both to understand. And in terms of making material more relevant, culturally relevant to families, we certainly are making sure that the imagery that they see reflects families, that again, that language is very broad um, to include different family members, including grandparents and other extended members of, of the family. So, Esperanza, you just spoke about imagery, and I would tell you is that if I go to a web page or I go to a brochure and I'm trying to learn about something and I'm not seeing myself represented at all in that imagery, or if I go to that same web page or that same brochure and I don't see the language that I feel most comfortable with, being the, the translated or being the way that it's delivered to me so I understand that information, I'm probably going to tune it out a little bit. Do you see that families sometimes don't explore something because they're not seeing themselves in it or don't explore something because it's not their predominant language? Certainly, that is, that is extremely accurate. Families will turn away sometimes because they don't see that reflection. And to be fair, it is based on experience a lot of the times too, where perhaps they believe something is out there that's beneficial to them. And then once they make contact, there is no one available to speak to them in their language. There is no one available to explain a process in that language. And rather than asserting their right to communicate with said entity, they choose to just walk away. I hope organizationally is that we have groups that are out there trying to say, I'm not communicating to, to one subset of the population. I need to communicate and welcome everybody. Um, and I think that that's the voice that, that you're advocating for through the Utah Parent Center is that one of inclusion, that one of, you know, we're all needing to respect and look past 
some of our differences in order to create an inclusive environment so that everybody can access the same opportunities. Um, one of the things that, that I've been seeing more and more frequently, and unfortunately, I've had pediatricians call me about, um, and it's not specific to the Latinx community, but it does affect them, are um, un undocumented people that are, that are living in the United States. It's how are they adversely affected right now? Or where are those fears coming from so that even if their child could access care, I'm seeing that there's some re uh, resistance to accepting it or moving in that direction. Those fears are, are quite legitimate and that families that are undocumented have experienced a lot of negativity, to say the least, in the last, um, you know, a decade. <laughs> and so that negativity that they've experienced in accessing pieces became exacerbated in the last five years or so and they are not willing to risk additional care or letting others in if it means that they will lose safety home yeah. those are tough decisions to serve because they either have examples of when somebody was not safe in sharing their information mm -hmm. and truly reassuring them that there are safe havens within education within the healthcare system that would not necessarily threaten their safety and their family's safety is is hard are there are there organizations that help to navigate for people who might have those fears or actually even just resources in general to say hey you know what maybe i'm in a socioeconomic group that I don't have the money to pay for ABA right now, or I don't have the insurance right now. Is there, is, are there resources to say, you know, go here and we'll navigate, we'll walk you through the process on how to make sure that you get everything that your child would be entitled to? Absolutely. On the health piece, there are family to family health information centers nationwide. And one of the key resources at that national level is the Family Voices Organization. They actually put out documents about community sensitivity, about what uh, benefits can be accessed depending on different migratory um, statuses. And it even includes information for undocumented families. So there are certainly groups within the state that can support all kinds of families. So to, to go full circle is that we talked about some of the challenges, we talked about some of those barriers, but what are some of the highlights that the Latinx community brings and that could really enhance the lives of their children? Absolutely. I would say one of the biggest assets within our Latinx community is, is those strong familial ties. And those are actually extended beyond the actual family unit. Friendships are made at a very deep level that last a lifetime. And those become adopted family members. And so that net of supports actually extends. Um, we, we also have um, a group of individuals that are always looking at the positives of different situations, looking for ways to pull through with that positive lens. So I would say those are the two biggest assets. I, I think those assets are things that help anybody. Um, I, whether you have a disability or not, having a community of support around you 
who is there, who has that bond, who you have that trust and faith in, it's always going to make each one of us stronger. So the fact that the, that, that is one of the core characteristics of the Latinx uh, family unit and community unit, it's, it can only help treatment. And if we can fix those other parts on the way, take away the barriers to care, create more awareness and education, and then bring in what's already built into a lot of the families, I, I think you have a wonderful chance to be able to really create a, a wonderful opportunity and a collaborative system of care that's going to that's gonna promote supports. So can you just give me a little bit of just general advice? You hear from a lot of families all the time. What would you be telling those families uh, from day one of noticing a concern? My advice would be, as soon as you notice something, act. Don't wait. Playing the waiting game can only perhaps lead to regrets down the road. I do hear from, from families that they had wished they had done something sooner. So, and that goes not just for a diagnosis, that goes for any issues that you might experience along the road. Don't take time to act. And spend time enjoying your family and your individual. It almost comes naturally to parents of individuals with disabilities of all kinds to treasure those small gains and those special moments. So continue to do that and share, share with the community. Absolutely wonderful advice, Esperanza. If I could add one more thought, don't ever believe anything is static. Believe Mm -hmm. in change. I think that's a, a, and you're a good experience of that, is that if, uh, if you believed that autism was going to be just that experience that you had with your brother and that the community was going to respond the same way and schools are going to respond the same way and that treatment access was going to be the same, that would have been a very different experience that you would have had for you and your son. And seeing that change and being able to voice it and advocate for yourself, empowering others, empowering your son created a a brand new experience that, you know, others might not have had 15, 20 years ago because people are willing now to stand up and say, you know what, this is who I am. This is what I need. And this is how I'm going to get it. Um, One of the questions that I'd like to just kind of make sure all of our listeners walk away with is um, understanding where these resources are. Finding things that are in Spanish on autism is not always easy. Do you have an idea of where just nationally or even locally where people can go to make sure that they have all the resources in the language that they need? I did mention Family Voices earlier. They do a wonderful job of creating documents in multiple languages, not just Spanish, but that would definitely be a good one that I would point individuals to. Um, I would also point them to the Center for Parent Information and Resources. That is also a nationwide repository of information, and they also count with multilingual individuals and create information in different languages. So those are two that are highly recommended. And if you are um, looking to understand how to connect with different communities, the National Center for Cultural Competence Um, held at Georgetown University's page. That's also a wonderful resource for understanding and linking to different communities' experiences. 
Okay, and then um, just one last plug from you, uh, Esperanza, is that you've done such wonderful work at the Utah Parent Center. Where can people find information about that? Yes, people are welcome to visit our website at www.utahparentcenter, all spelled out, .org, .org. We also have a Facebook page. You will find us under Utah Parent Center as well as an Instagram account. Well, thank you so much. I, I, all of these resources, the sharing of the experience and just the understanding and giving direction as far as hope and the, the comfort to explore one's own voice. I think that, that that's a, such a powerful message. And I appreciate the fact that you came on to share that with us today. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Thank you for listening to Autism Weekly. We hope you tune back in next week to learn more about autism in the real world. Autism Weekly is now found on all of the major listening apps, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, and more. Subscribe to be notified when we post a new podcast. Autism Weekly is produced by ABS. ABS is proud to provide diagnostic assessments and ABA therapy to children with developmental delays like autism spectrum disorder. You can learn more about ABS and the Autism Weekly podcast by visiting abskids, that's plural, dot com. Thanks for tuning in. See you again next week.